with Karen, also known as the Antsy Butterfly. She's someone I've connected with online uh, after uh, doing some more research, looking into more information. And uh, as, as with all guests, the, the, the floor is open to talk about whatever we want to talk about, whatever they want to talk about. And today, Karen's brought up an interesting piece to the mental health challenges that we face as, as people with mental health challenges. And I didn't realize quite how prevalent... Um, mental health challenges were and how parental mental health uh, can end up in, you know, influencing children and their mental health um, to the extent that it does. Uh, Worldwide, 15 to 23% of children live with a a parent who has a mental illness. And those children have a 50% chance of developing a mental illness themselves. Now, 70% of mental health problems have their onset usually during childhood or adolescence. And young people aged 15 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illness or substance abuse um, uh, during during uh, mental health challenges. 34% of Ontario high school students indicate a moderate to serious level of psychological distress, which is symptoms of anxiety or depression. And 14% indicate a serious level of psychological distress. Sorry, distress. Um, in any given year, one in five Canadians experience a mental health or addiction problem. And by the time Canadians reach 40 years of age, one in two, that's one in two, have had or, or currently have a mental health problem. Now, when we talk about mental health, a lot of people think about, you know, the, the, the seriously affected people because it's visible. It's, it's the invisible ones that we have the biggest challenge with. Uh, I feel like mine has been invisible for for a long time to the extent that I have had problems or I or, or I'm currently in significant problem and I know that this is something that was passed down uh, through from my father from his father and, and we can we can go back a long 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 way to see where mental health challenges have been through my family history and um, on that note, I want to I want to say, Karen, thanks for coming on to talk to me. And um, tell me tell me uh, a little bit more about what you understand for your your mental health history. Um, well, thank you for having me on. And I think it's a really important topic that we talk about and make sure that we keep it out and keep the conversation going. Because you're right, a lot of people, um, it's an invisible disease and no everyone assumes, unless they can see a person acting in quotation marks crazy, then everyone is just fine. Um, I started feeling my, uh, my mental illnesses started showing at the age of 15. Um, nobody in the house, in my house or in my family that I know of ever had such challenges. So I was the first one to come out and all of a sudden I have this, I'm, I'm wild, I'm up, I'm down, my anxieties through the roof. I mean, there were no names at the time. We didn't know, oh, Karen's anxious. We didn't have that. It was 
what is wrong with this kid? Um, and then once I, I had three attempts of suicide and the last one, we went to the hospital um, and it was there that the diagnosis started coming out and we started understanding what exactly was coming was happening to me. And from then I was diagnosed with uh, depression, anxiety, and, um, and we did our best to work with it. I've been medicated on and off since I was 15. And I used to be ashamed. I used to be worried. I used to be scared to bring that up. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I have all these issues. No one's going to want to talk to me. They're going to think I'm unstable. And surprise, it's no one feels that way. It was really just in my head. And as time goes on and these conversations keep coming up and everyone's coming out with their own struggles, we're trying, starting to see that this is a lot more common than we were led to believe. The, the numbers are staggering. When you consider the, at the top, I, I talk about 20, 20 some odd percent of, of uh, people have a significant mental health challenge. And then 50% of their children have mental health challenges. Very quickly, when you go down through three or four generations, everybody's got something. Everybody right. has a problem with something. Most people... Um, you know, the, the, the general public, the, the people that don't have significant challenge or significant um, chemical imbalances, mm-hmm. you know, they'll go through a mild depression, they'll talk to their doctor, they'll get a medication, they talk to a therapist, they resolve the issues that were causing the depression, they go off the medication, they're said and done. It may come back again at some other time, but there's a mechanism now and, and a path for them to follow so they can go and get the help they need and it works for them. And that's right. fantastic. And I think part of the problem that you and I face is that people think it's that easy. Oh, just go get a pill. You'll be fine. Just right. just go see a doctor. You'll be you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just get out. It's good. Yeah. You just just open the blinds and get some sunshine. Get some fresh air. You'll you'll be fine. And that's that's a really common idea for for people to think that mental health it all all falls in the same tiny little basket. Unless of course you're 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 visibly you know, schizophrenic and it's visible and it's completely visible. It, so much of this is so invisible and so many people hide it. And, and like you said, they're scared to talk to their friends and family. They're scared to say anything. And, and I'm in that boat. I'm in that boat myself. I'm openly talking about being bipolar. I'm openly talking about anxiety and I'm terrified to really tell people what's going on in, in my head and how it's affecting me. I personally, right at this very moment, I'm having some significant physical health issues. And the more research I do and the more I read about mental health, the more I'm coming to the realization it's probably from my mental health challenges that I'm so physically ill. So, yeah. you know, they uh, into each other. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing. I, I, all the research I've been doing is leading me to find out so much amazing information. Um, one of the outlets that you have that, that really helps you and works for you, your personal therapy is, is you write a lot and you talk about being able to put it on paper far easier than, than being able to say it out loud. When did you start writing? Um, two years ago, a bit over two years ago, um, I was going through some postpartum and that's what really tipped me over the edge. I mean, I've been going through it since I was 15. There's been ups and downs. Um, and it wasn't until after my I had my son that I had postpartum depression and didn't know until months, maybe a year later, that I was actually going through postpartum anxiety as well as was my husband. And it wasn't until I took the maternal mental health um, program 
certification um, online, like part of my certification qualifications for it, um, that I realized that my husband actually had postpartum anxiety as well. He had the nervousness, can we afford this? Can we do this? I'm not sleeping well and so forth. Um, so then I, I, I didn't have an outlet. I wasn't sure what was going on and I started to write and I wrote a piece to the mighty and I sent it up and it got picked up that day, which was a huge win for me because, wow, there are actually people out there who write about this stuff and people are actually reading it and they feel the same way. I'm not the only one who is sitting in my house wondering what the hell I'm doing and why I, why I'm feeling this way and I can't leave the house because I my anxiety and I can't stay home because of my anxiety and I'm feeling all these awful feelings that I'm feeling and I'm not the only one. That really pushed me to keep the writing thing going. Um, Nancy Butterfly is actually my husband pegged the name for me because I'm an extremely antsy person. <laughs> um, and my mother used to call me a social butterfly. And to me, the butterfly aspect is just jumping from topic to topic to just trying to find my bearing and trying to find the fruit of a flower that's going to make me bloom and, and simmer me down a little bit because I am a lot of the time on edge. And so writing actually brings all of that down and helps me connect with what's going on inside. Good. It's great that you've found something that, that really does help you and works for you. I've, I've read that uh, postpartum depression can can be as significant um, in, in, a, in a mother that's that's had a perfectly healthy baby and exactly the same postpartum depression for a woman who's had a miscarriage or, or a stillborn child. So it's, it is that significant and people I don't think realize, and it can actually lead to, to full-blown postpartum, postpartum psychosis as well, which is a, you know, a complete psychological break that, that requires significant mental health treatment. And there's people out there trying to take it on on their own thinking, I'm fine. I'm fine. Why? I'll just be fine. I'll pull it off. But, you know, it, it, those those situations can sometimes lead to horrific um, things that, you know, it, it's rare, but because of the some, stigma behind it and, yeah. women, and people are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to seem unstable. And if I'm on, if I talk about my anxiety and my depression through while having a baby, you're going to think, wow, she's super unstable. Maybe we should call someone. Can she do this? Can she be a parent? And a lot of the time people keep that inside because they're nervous and worried to tell someone because they're afraid of appearing unstable and unfit to parent. I'm one of those people. I I knew it was going to come up. And when it came, it was an aha moment. And then from there, it was, what? okay, what am I going to do about it? We went back on medication and I, I did my best to find outlets. And running, writing ended up being one of those outlets that really actually started putting things in perspective for me. And my goal now is to erase that stigma and keep the conversations going because it's a real thing and I'm not unstable. I'm a good parent. I just have a few minor setbacks here and there. And you're addressing them, which is which is the biggest piece. It's it's those that don't get help and then things break down that that exactly. those are the people that we have to worry worry for. Mm-hmm. 
Um, did you did you uh, self medicate at any point? Did you try and sort of resolve your challenges when you were younger using drugs, alcohol, any other outlets? Was there was there any self harm that you're willing to talk about? Um, I had three suicide attempts. The first two were more like a game for me. I wonder what would happen if. And the last one was the real one. And it wasn't until I've taken all the pills in the house that I, I had a, a moment of clarity where I was like, you're sitting in your parents' bed and you're overdosing and you're a jerk right now. Like, how could you do that to those people? And I called my parents and they picked me up and we went to the hospital. Other forms of self-harm, I, I used to have a punching bag in my house and I would use that without the gloves to make sure my knuckles would rip. Um, and it would help take away the pain that was inside so that the feelings on the outside would overcome, like it would just take care of, of kind of blanket that inside pain. I did some drinking, I did drugs, I partied. Um, while I was taking medication, I acted out as a teenager. I I was defiant. I, I used mental health a lot of the time as an excuse for my behaviors. I can do this because, you know, I'm depressed and like that's what depressed people do. I was very confused with, with having these diagnoses and I was in therapy for about two years and I had a wonderful social worker who totally brought me back from she pulled me out of the dark hole. She was incredible. Um, I went back to her once I was back into college, you know, I went in and out of medication, but there was some deviant behavior that I took place in as a way to comfort myself and push whatever I was feeling inside lower so that I didn't have to deal with it. Is is your is your diagnosis? Are, are, is there is there bipolar in your diagnosis? Because a lot of the, the the behaviors you talk about sound very very bipolarish. The psychiatrist who assessed me when I was after that when I had the after the last um, suicide attempt, she gave me a borderline um, bipolar diagnosis and I didn't really understand what that meant and she says that I experience a lot of man manic and then down periods which I did I mean I would be at school and I would scratch my face entirely down to like my skin was in my nails because someone wasn't listening to me and I couldn't handle not being listened to um, I would have to be walked home by my friends they bought me freezies to try to make me feel better because they didn't know what they were doing either they were 15 16 as well the diagnosis after that, it was borderline bipolar, but I was never really, I never really understood it. And she was kind of impersonal. Mm. So I took whatever she said and I took like just with grains of salt and so forth and then spoke with my social worker. And the real problem was um, shifting through depression and anxiety like really quickly, like really down and then really up and then really anxious about something to the point where like you can't you can't stop moving and you're physically ill I used to think that was always anticipation I never understood that the physical pains that I felt in my chest and around my neck and in my stomach were actually anxiety mm. I just went ignored apparently by this psychiatrist that I saw 
Yeah, they're they're not always they're not always on, and you know I've I've interacted with a few people in the last few weeks uh, who you know off off the record off the air they they've they made comments specifically about how the professionals they were dealing with were not professional and they just weren't listening and you're just another person going in and out the door and here's a script have a nice day oh is it working great is it not working okay here's another script try that one but there's like no they're not paying attention patience that's what i describe it as say that again sorry in line for patience next let me write some mm. stuff down give you a sheet next right and that's how it filtered out a few years I ago kind i kind of feel that way about a Sorry, free outpatient program at a hospital in Toronto. Um, I was ha- I I hit rock bottom. I had a breakdown again. I went to go see someone, and the psychiatrist put me into this three week outpatient program, which was absolutely wonderful, and it really really helped a lot. Except talking to her was. I, I was very anxious. She set me off. She was like my one of my triggers. I couldn't talk to her. Um, luckily, I only had to do a couple of sessions with her, and then used my rest of my the rest of my time with the social workers or the case managers and the other professionals that worked on with us in the program. Uh, how old were you when you're doing that? Um, I'm so you've got a, a, a decent amount of information and knowledge that you're bringing to the table now for your own self-care. Yes. Where a lot of people, when they're hitting this for the first time in their 30s or, or even 40s, they're ill-equipped to even figure out how to take steps forward. And I think that's, I was fortunate when I was diagnosed, I was already seeing a, a therapist to talk about, you know, stress and other challenges. And then I had my break, my psychotic break. And in the middle of a session, he said, you need to go to the hospital right now. So I did. I, I wandered off to the hospital. I went armed with the knowledge from my own family history and dealing with my own father. And, you know, I what I had said at the time was I, I wasn't willing to put my family through what my father put us through. And, you know, history repeats. And here I am uh, quite a few years later, and I'm coming to the realization that that I am doing a lot of the same kinds of things that my dad did and it's it's I, I didn't even see it until I started really talking about it with people like you that's amazing that's a lot of a big thing that I worry about my son carrying down there's no mental health in in my family I'm the only one and I already know and even, I mean, as when he was a baby, he was picking up on my anxiety all the time, that tension. Um, I mean, you can cut it with a knife. I was, it was thick in the air, like a cloudy fog. And sometimes it was so intense that and, and the, the energy is leaking through and passing on to him. Nowadays, I mean, he's, he kind of ignores it. He's almost five and he's, he understands when mommy's not feeling well. But what worries me is that he's going to end up, he's very similar to what I was like when a child, very wild, very boisterous. He's your typical boy's boy. And I'm worried about whatever is going on with me is going to leak into him. And then I really don't want him to go through the same kind of troubles. However, saying that I, I feel that I'm equipped now with dealing with my own self for the past 20 years. I 
I am a little more equipped to deal should something come up with him, then I will be able to address it at the time comes. I I went to school for psychology. I've worked as a social uh, child and youth worker, sorry. So I'm the experience of my, I'm vigilant. My eyes are open. I am watching him like a hawk so that the first time I see any kind of sign of anything that is remotely near to depressive episodes or anxious feelings and so on, then I can properly address it with him or do what needs to be done so that to take the step so that he doesn't go through what I went through at the beginning of my breakdowns. So are you 100% sure that there wasn't mental health challenges in your parents or their parents or in, in your family history? I am not. I have no idea. Is that it's is never it been talked about on either side? Um, my family moved here. They were the history is kind of shady and um, not all there. My family were are Holocaust survivors, so after going through that in Europe, well, that, went to Israel. Yeah. And from Israel, they moved here. So any kind of conversation about anxiety like mental health was really not on the table we never even addressed it the concern i was always interested with what happened during the war um and now all the old relatives have passed so there really isn't any kind of connection to any time before they moved to canada really i i have no there isn't any background. I, I think I think we can make a, a, a huge assumption that that there was there was PTSD there. There had to have been. There had to have been anxiety there. There had to have been um, so so much so much pain and suffering. And they I, safe assumption. <laughs> yeah, and and but the, that generation, they, they you know you, you don't talk about any of that ever with anyone ever for fear of being shunned by your community and your family. You just don't talk about it. And, you know, that's, again, I keep kind of coming back to my, my dad because a lot of stuff keeps is popping in my head as we have these conversations. And that, that was his response when, when the doctor said, you, ha- you are bipolar, you have a mental health illness. His response was, F you, there's nothing wrong with me. It's all of you. You're against me. So when you're already predisposed to think that it is everybody against you when there is a mental health challenge, you're, 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 you're stumped from the start. You're stumped from the get go. You, you've got no, no up from there. It's, it's nowhere but down. So when you can't see an up, you're just not going to, you're not going to do anything about it. And, And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very painful thing. And as I'm finding more and more about, myself in this um you know i'm i'm having some emotional moments and i'm I'm a pretty stoic person i don't i don't show my emotions i don't let them out um i learned a long time ago i've got to keep keep them sort of all at bay because if i let them go they're they're rampant and, and rampaging and out of control and now i'm getting to the point where i'm realizing i need to let some of this out or i'm just gonna pop absolutely that's what I learned in therapy. It was after therapy. I now I I feel I share too much sometimes. Um, it just all comes out. It blurts out, and here's everything. And when I met my husband at first, I just 
we started dating and I threw everything on the table and he, he goes, that was a lot of information. And from therapy, I've learned to talk about it and, and not be ashamed of what's happening. It's not my fault. It's a chemical imbalance, whatever, for whatever reason, it's me, not my sister, not my mom, not my dad, no one else. It's me. And for whatever reason, it is what it is. And now what are you going to do with, about it? I, th- I think people people have trouble when they're looking in from the outside on on us and, and they see that we've made maybe some bad decisions. You said you, you, you had some deviant behavior at some point. So you make some bad decisions and people look at you and, and blame you for making bad decisions because they, well, why didn't you think of that? Why didn't you figure that out? Why, why were you not aware you're in the middle of doing it? You know, it's not the right thing to do, or it's, a, it's not a good thing to do. But at the time you have no idea, as far as you're concerned, everything you're doing, everything I'm doing, this is perfectly normal. This is exactly the way it's supposed to be because it just makes sense because chemically I am so far removed from normal that that is normal for me. No matter where I'm at, I'm always normal, but it's not. No. Yeah, it was definitely very harmful. I did some things I should not have done, especially being on medication, Um, but it was my coping at the time. I mean, I was a teenager, early 20s. Now, as an adult, like I'm aware especially as I have a son then that is what keeps me going and that's what keeps me as grounded as I can get because I'm far from being grounded um he's he's my 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 tool my prevention this kid needs to have a mom forever and that's my my savings grace I guess um I have I cannot take myself away from this kid. So what are we going to do that keeps me here and healthy and sane in the head that will allow me to be the best parent that I can be for my child? And that it, it's not about me anymore. It's about him. And that thought process actually helps me keep going and pushing through and you know, right now I'm at the end of this. I, I go through sad in the winter, but this has been an exceptionally difficult winter for me. And I've I've done my best, but I've been really down on everything. Um, and as I'm trying to get out of it right now with, you know, there's the sun has been peering through more days than not. Um, it's really helping me move forward and especially seeing him as the happiness and just a big blob of stuff that you have to work through in order to keep being the best person you can be. There's also the eating disordered eating that I go through and my body dysmorphia that I'm trying to deal with that my son doesn't see me doing the things that I do in order to keep myself it's it's messy it can be really messy and i try to tidy it as much as possible so he doesn't see the darkest periods because he's young he doesn't need to see that right now and your husband he's come a long way in understanding <laughs> that's that's really good that you've got that support 
He's very supportive. At first, he was confused as anything. He comes from a family where things are bottled up and you leave it alone. <laughs> as many do. Right? And then he met me and I'm like, no, we share our feelings here. And he's like, what is this? And more and more in the last 13 years that we've been together, that it's more and more coming out. And every time, like I, his support is there and he realizes what I need. If I'm having a bad time, he takes the kid you know, have some time by yourself, take 30 minutes and breathe, do what you need to do. And that has been really wonderful to find someone, especially with his background of not sharing feelings that he could come around to be really on it for what I need. That's amazing. I just want to run over some more statistics because I, I it, it just blows my mind, the numbers and the way that the numbers break out. 50% of Canadians would tell a friend or a coworker uh, that they have a family member with mental mental illness, not even themselves, but that they would talk about a family member compared to 72% who would discuss a diagnosis of cancer and 68% who talk about a family member having diabetes. Wow. The stigma, the stigma is, it's unbelievable. That's 50% of Canadians would talk about a family member having a mental illness. Not even themselves, and I bet that number is going to be in the in the teens. The, the the number of people like you and I that are willing to go out and talk about it and say that they've got a mental health problem, it's going to be a really low number. I don't I don't have that number, but it's 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 gotta be really low. And forty two percent of Canadians say they're unsure if they would socialize with a friend who has mental illness. Almost half the population of the country would not socialize with someone they believe to have a mental illness. I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate with my friends and my, my friends, the base of people that I have that are, are close friends and, and uh, you know, other friends. Um, they all know because I talk about it. They all know that I'm bipolar. They all know that some of the behavior I have stems from being bipolar. I I would wonder sometimes if some of them think that I'm just, you know, it's it's bad behavior and I'm using it as an excuse, which, you know, 46% of Canadians thought people using the term mental illness were only using it as an excuse for bad behavior. And 27% said they'd be fearful of being around someone who suffers from a serious mental illness. Wild. These numbers are outrageous. These are, And these are all the numbers from CAMH. These are these are direct numbers from CAMH. So, you know, with with those massive, massive mountains that surround us, um, you're doing amazing things to make, you know, make the climb up over the mountain to scream from the mountaintop that, you know, we're here and we've got problems and we need help. And, you know, with your writing and, and what you're doing for others to be inspired to it, it at least open up to those that are closest to them. Um, you know, the, the numbers are just staggering. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I, I, as an employer, as someone who, who, um, you know, owns a business and, and has staff members that have had mental health challenges, I, I think they're lucky. And I, it sounds weird to say it this way, but I think they're lucky to, to, to have someone like me who can understand that when they say, look, I, I've, you know, I need a mental health day. Okay. I get it. I understand. I, you know, I had a girl that worked for me that needed a mental health, you know, month. Okay. You know, that's yeah, fine. It's wild um, that people don't understand that people need the mental health day. They're like, what are you, what's wrong with you? Take a nap. Right. But if I came to you and I said, you know, I've got if I came in, I said, I've got a tumor and I have to start chemo. Nobody would bat an eye. Okay, well, can we do to help and support you? 
Let's do a fundraiser. Let's get a bunch of people together. Let's have a let's have a benefit concert. Let's start a GoFundMe page. Hey, I, I've got I'm bipolar and uh, you know I've, I've I'm broke and I've uh, you know made some bad decisions and and my life is in the toilet. Well, you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need no, to get to work. Snap out what? Of it. It's the same thing. It's Snap. it's an illness that is exactly the same. There is no difference between getting Parkinson's or uh, Alzheimer's or cancer or even you know diabetes or some something that's treatable or even something that that is going to be a long term problem. You know, I, my father in law is in late stage Alzheimer's, and it's it's it's. It's, it's an awful, terrible disease, but nobody's going to tell him to pull up his bootstraps and, you know, you can do it. You just need to get outside and get some fresh air. Yeah. My favorite is, oh, just be happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You got uh, me. I, I, that, I totally didn't think of that. Yeah. Just be happy. I've become a master at the smile. I mean, I could be in the worst mood ever. The second I'm in professional environment, my smile goes on. I do my job. I carry on. People, wow, like you're, you're such a happy person. I do yeah. the same. I do exactly the same thing. When, you know, soon I'm going to be talking loudly publicly about some stuff that's going on for me and i fully expect there's going to be a whole lot of people that are like oh pff, that's just a bunch of crap you're just using that as an excuse or and then there's going to be those that celebrate there are going to be people that are like ha huh, good you, you deserve to suffer what but yeah what it's wild i, I don't understand some people i don't understand it it's well, here, here's one of the reasons why 75% of children with mental disorders don't have access to specialized treatment services. So those kids are growing up with problems. And and I'm going to jump forward and say a lot of those kids end up being the bullies because they're looking for help. They're looking for support and they act out and they have bad behavior and they're marked down as, as a bad kid with you know, that's unruly or, or even they, they become bullied kids. These are, and those kids are becoming teenagers and those teenagers are becoming adults and they're broken and it's internal, but they externalize it by berating us or celebrating our suffering. Um, you know, I watched the video of you talking about some of the people commenting, um, you know, the trolls and, and, and just the, the language and the positions that some of these people take is extraordinary. Yeah, it's I honestly, it's, I, I find it really outrageous. The whole thing is is you wouldn't bat an eye if I broke my arm, or if you know I had anything else. Like if I I developed cancer, like mental illness is a disease like anything else. There's no different. You just don't see it. And if you can't see it, you don't believe it. And that's the thing. It's a fear process. It's people are afraid of what they don't understand. And then they attack it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in any given week in Canada, up to 500,000 people are unable to work due to mental health problems. 355,000 of them. Uh, disability cases due to mental or behavioral disorders and 175,000 are full-time workers absent from work due to mental illness. 175,000 people per week are taking a day off for mental health. If, if we could go and and have better mental health supports where right now it takes six months to a year to get in to see somebody for mental health support. 
where it, you know I, I've got a stomach problem and I'm I have a, a CT scan a week later. I've had blood work done. It's all done. It's fine because it's easy to test. It's easy to figure out. And it's easy to solve the the physical problems, even if it's you know a, a terrible or, or, or awful disease. There's still understanding and comprehension on how to deal with it. Where where we are stuck and. You know, getting out and talking about it like we're doing, sharing this with other people, making sure other people hear it, knowing that they're there, they have support. And yeah, it's just a it's a it's a brutal, awful, terrible thing to try and struggle through on your own. So for those out there that are listening to this, know that there are people like Karen and I that that are here to listen and we're, we're here to point you in the right direction if we can or at least offer support, or at least offer some kind words, or at least offer some some brilliant writing that you do that, that really helps people identify, you know, for themselves, maybe some things that are going on inside that they weren't able to verbalize before. I, I have gotten some really nice feedback from some people who are, wow, you live in my head, or wow, thank you for saying that out loud. That's That's what I'm feeling, and I couldn't put it into words. And now that you've said it, it makes complete sense. This is how I'm feeling. And if I can just reach, you know, one person or a few people that don't know how to say what they're saying and or they're feeling and, you know, find comfort in the words that I'm saying, then, you know, that's reward in itself because we're not alone and we're not in this boat by ourselves. There are so many of us that... You know, we need a space on this boat. In fact, we need a ship. We need to move over and allow people to get on the ship because there's no, you don't have to go through this by yourself. Right. You shouldn't have to go through this by yourself. Right, right. Nobody should be going through this alone. And and they don't they don't have to. They'll feel like it. They'll probably feel very much like that they, they have to do it on their own, but they, they definitely don't need to do it on their own. On that note, I want to say, Karen, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on and talk to me. Um, are there any resources that you would like to point people towards that you have found helpful or any, you know, uh, services, phone numbers, text numbers, anything you want to share? I do go to the Mighty um, on mental health, the, the website, a lot of the time when I'm just searching for some kind of inspiration for me in my days, because the writings that are on there are all over mental health and they cover like a wide range of from physical disabilities to mental disabilities to eating disorders mental illness and it's it's really wonderful that you can find you can find what you're looking for there and know that there are other people who are going through the exact same thing that you are excellent so that's that's the mighty.com and uh there is a ton of information it's a massive community answers to all kinds of questions that you have out there if you're in immediate crisis and you need to talk to somebody you can text home to 686868 in canada once again you can text home to 686868 in canada i'm chris potter and that's been we're talking <laughs>